There are two words that clearly express my life as an early follower of Christ. Enthusiastic beginner. It says it all. I was unbelievably enthusiastic. It was a life change I wasn't expecting. I had rejected religion and the idea of God early on. And when I came to the realization that God was for real in spite of how religion had presented him and that I could know him and actually entered into that relationship, I was enthusiastic. Couldn't have been more excited. And I was a beginner. I had no clue what was going on. I had no clue what to expect. It was a brand new experience for me. And in the day in which I was being raised... I decided that I would become a Jesus freak. I mean, that was just the way it was. Now, if you're not from the 70s, that sounds weird, so put the word fanatic there and you'll understand, a Jesus fanatic. But there went with, you know, with freak came some freaky things. And some of the lighter ones, I wore a leather choker with this huge pewter cross on it, baby. I wanted... I hadn't followed Christ, and now I was, and I wanted people to know it. And I mean, I was out front telling people about my new faith in Jesus. It was an exciting time. Those early days of following Christ for me came with a natural adrenaline that made the whole concept of following Christ seem really easy to me, very natural, extremely positive. It wasn't hard. What's all this stuff about it being hard and difficult? I mean, I had so much adrenaline I could have gone, it seemed to me, for a lifetime. But over time, I was confronted with all kinds of negative realities. After all, just because I had chosen to follow Jesus didn't mean that everyone had, and just because I had chosen to follow Jesus doesn't mean that the world automatically changed. This world filled with so many negatives and so many minuses, and I confronted it within me, and I confronted it in the world. I still face temptations in my own weaknesses and flaws. I still faced other people with their weaknesses and their flaws and it brought about a lot of disappointment and a lot of pain and a lot of hurt a lot of grief and I didn't know how to handle it and I was still a beginner but I went from being an enthusiastic beginner to being a disillusioned beginner and and to be honest it really messed me up I was in very dangerous territory here's what I discovered I discovered that I was changing on the outside in the way I acted and talked and lived faster than I was changing on the inside, which is where true Christianity is played out. I was changing my outer experience, but not my inner reality. And the pressure that I started experiencing as I confronted all the negative realities of this world started pushing against my empty insides, and ultimately my insides caved. And all of my positive-looking Jesus freak outside fell into that sinkhole of my weaknesses. And it was a pretty messy picture. It actually made me think that maybe this thing called faith wasn't real after all. It started making me wonder if... This thing about following Jesus was like so many other things that I had taken up in my life that was filled with promise at the beginning but didn't deliver on the end. I started thinking, is this all branding and marketing and imaging with no substance or is this real after all? Because it wasn't living up to its promise in my life. But my conclusions in that moment were wrong. 
Over time, I've discovered that it's not just promise with no substance, not at all, that it's not marketing with no reality behind it. It's the real deal. Over time, even though the world hasn't changed and there's a lot of negativity and darkness and it confronts me and it brings pain and woundedness into my life, disappointment into my life, over time I've discovered that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. He was and is real, always will be. I also learned that it wasn't that my faith was non-existent. My faith was sincere, though innocent and naive. I really did believe in him, and that faith was real. The problem was that in my enthusiasm, I wasn't letting Jesus do the necessary work inside of me. I was, because of the adrenaline and the excitement and the enthusiasm, doing what I always did, taking charge. I was changing all that I was doing. I was doing everything new, but I wasn't letting him change who I was. And here's my burden. It seems to me that this is happening to so many today. In fact, it seems to me this is not a unique experience to me. This is the common experience for all. Sadly, when enthusiastic beginners, researchers, start confronting the negative realities that they had before they started pursuing Christ, it's a dangerous place to be. Because there are basically two directions people go. I almost want this one direction. They literally decide that they're going to leave the spiritual journey because it didn't live up to its promise and they're going to look for some new product somewhere to give them what Jesus didn't deliver. So they leave the spiritual journey and they leave it in defeat, never to look back. And boy, has this gone on in the world. You might be someone returning from an adventure in the wasteland of searching for new things. But there's another, and I believe, even more dangerous response that we can do. And this is where we've searched so much and we've tried so many things that we have no place else to go. And so even though we're disappointed by the journey and it's not living up to its promise and we're not experiencing the reality of what Jesus promised in our lives, we decide just to stay on the journey. So what? It's not living up to its promise. Nothing else lives up to its promise either. Like the music, I'm comfortable here. Everything's all good. So we keep living out the spiritual journey on the outside, filled with disappointment and doubt on the inside. It leaves us discouraged and stagnant. And there are a lot of people in both of those places. And here's my encouragement. Don't let this happen to you. Don't let it happen to you. In this series, Plus and Minus, we're trying to address the difference between the outer realities of the world we experience and the inner realities that we can experience in Jesus, and we're trying to address them. That's why we're calling it Plus and Minus. And every weekend, we're looking at a minus, and then we're looking at a plus. And here's this weekend's minus as we continue to forge forward on this journey. The minus of this world is that most people aren't experiencing the life that Jesus made possible. Most people aren't experiencing the life that Jesus taught about, the life that Jesus promised, the life that Jesus painted as being something we could all experience. Most people aren't experiencing it, even though Jesus made it possible. Jesus promised it. Now, I know what it's like to be in a spiritual setting like this. I understand. Because in a spiritual setting, 
Here we are gathered, making sacrifices and making commitments to come in and hear God's truth spoken and to pursue God and at whatever place in our journey we are. And so when we hear a statement like that, the minuses of the world, that says most people aren't experiencing the life that Jesus promised, we think of most people as being out there somewhere. You know, most people. You know, like people in India, people in China over there or Japan, foreigners, Foreigners, you know, people from downriver. <laughs> oh, yeah, some of you drive here. I don't really sorry. You know, we could get more cars on our parking lot if you downriver people wouldn't bring your trucks. Uh, I'm just, I'm t- look at, I was born in Taylor. I'm from down there. Let's make fun of ourselves, okay? Here's the thing. Most people aren't the people out there. The most people not experiencing what Jesus promised are the people in here. Me. You. That's most of us. This isn't like, oh, it's so sad that they're not experiencing what Jesus promised. No, what's sad is we're not experiencing what Jesus promised. Look what Jesus promised. Look at John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full that they might experience life as God originally intended in all of its fullness, that they might be so full on the inside of their life that it doesn't matter how the world caves around them. They are still complete. It doesn't matter what they get and don't get because they are full. That's what I came for. And I don't know, as I look within me and as I look around me, there aren't many people experiencing the fulfillment of that promise in their life where it doesn't matter what the world delivers or doesn't deliver. We're still going to be complete and flowing over and full. Really? Let me give you a very simple, innocuous example of how this doesn't tend to be true in our lives. Recently, the iPhone 5 was announced. <laughs> Up until that announcement... I had an unbelievably great phone, the iPhone 4S. The minute I heard about the iPhone 5, my phone stopped working right. It's no longer beautiful. It was 20% too heavy. I realized that I couldn't hold it anymore. What looked like a great picture before, I couldn't see because it wasn't, it needed another inch on that screen. And the silver on the edges of my 4S, it's blinding in the light. I needed the beautiful black, you know. My point is simple. Very often we're trying to find the next thing that can bring some kind of satisfaction and contentment from something we can get. The things that we have aren't filling our life. We need more. There's nothing wrong with an iPhone 5. So if, I mean, when I get mine, it'll be a spiritual decision. But... There's nothing wrong with these things. It's, what's wrong is that we're trying to fill the emptiness that Jesus promised to fill with stuff that can't fill it. And look at the next promise. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God. I mean, these five words declaring that life is something that I'm grateful about. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, because I've come, here's the promise. You can live as defined by victory. Now, I've been on this journey a while, and I tell you, I've, I've, I've covered some distance 
climbed a lot of hills, gone in a lot of valleys, and then climbed back out and up on the hills. And, and, and I have made some progress. I've, I've allowed Jesus to do more inside work um, than was true when I was an enthusiastic beginner. But let me just tell you, while a couple of my moments this last week could be defined by that word victory, my entire life can't be defined by that word victory. Can yours, really? Thanks be to God, man, I'm living in victory. The only people who generally say that, and this is true of me too, are the people who already have their iPhone 5s. <laughs> and by that I mean people living in the good times, on the mountain. Things are going right, dreams are coming true. But it doesn't tend to define me when things aren't going well. Does it you? But this promise isn't for those who are experiencing life going well. This promise is for those who are experiencing Jesus. Why isn't it true of me? Most of us aren't experiencing the life that Jesus promised. We're living on the minus side. We're not even close to this kind of life. In fact, most of us are defined and defeated by the negative realities of this world, as I was as an enthusiastic beginner and as I still at times am today. But I'm thankful that we didn't call this series The Minus, because if we did, I'd have to stay on this negative thing for a really long time and take you down to where you would need drugs to get out of it. And so we're going to move to the plus side, because there is this great plus as well. Though most of us aren't experiencing the life that Jesus promised, it is available to everyone. It's available to us here. I mean, that's a big deal. It's available. Uh, look at his promise. John seven thirty eight. it's this all-consuming promise. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And that's talking about you will have all the resources of your life flowing through you. You will be full on the inside. You will be so full on the inside that it doesn't matter what kind of pressures are coming against you. You won't cave. There will be no sinkhole in the life of someone who has streams of living water flowing through them. There'll be no need for all kinds of outward changes if that's your inward reality. And that's what he came to give us. And it's whoever, whoever believes, whoever. And look at Romans 2.11. In case you feel like you're the outsider, you're the exception, there's no way God means this for you, Romans 2.11 says, for God does not show favoritism. Wow. God doesn't pick out a few people and say, man, I really like you guys. I'm going to give you the dose. But the rest of you, <laughs> what's the use? It's available to everyone. It's available to me. It's available to you. This is unbelievable. But how do we experience it then? How do we go from being the most people to the people experiencing this promise? How? Well, the truth is, the only way to experience the life that Jesus promised is to make the choice. And what do we choose to do? Wrap ourselves around, you know, church experiences or wrap ourselves up like some weird out-of-place beings that are from another planet, but boy, they must be Christians because they're that odd. Uh, I mean, what are we supposed to make the choice to do? We're supposed to make the choice to believe and claim His promise. That's what we're supposed to make the choice to do. Not about what we do on the outside, how we wrap ourselves up, what kind of wrapping paper we put on. It's about believing and claiming His promise. This is huge. It's available to all of us, this life He's promised. 
And the reason we're not experiencing it isn't because the promise is without substance behind it. It's because we aren't making the choice to believe it or claim it. The problem lies with us. And this is what I had to find out. I was this enthusiastic beginner who had initial experiences in believing and claiming what Jesus did, but didn't see it deeper and didn't move forward. It was like a choice yesterday, but not a choice today. And so I started saying, now that I'm one of his followers, I'm going to do all this stuff that's different, but on the inside, I wasn't believing and claiming this promise. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. It says, everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory. You want to live full on the inside, even when the world's came around, you want to live in victory? Let that be the defining reality of your life? Well, everyone born of God lives there, overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our, what's that word? That was a pitiful, pitiful response. Can I just call a spade a spade? That was awful. Go get yourself a latte and then come back when you're ready to participate. Really. Let's say it again. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our So if I'm not walking in victory, it's not a problem with the promise. It's a problem with me. And this is exactly what I found. I was an enthusiastic beginner doing life for Jesus now in the same way I did life without Jesus. On my own, man, I was wrapping it up. Oh, I'm supposed to sing that song? I'm supposed to do this kind of thing? That's how I'm supposed to behave? That's how I'm supposed to talk? I'm supposed to start going to church? Okay, I'm supposed to be nice to people? Okay. You know, and I started trying to wrap up the outside right, but the inside wasn't believing on his promise, claiming his promise, and I started getting rocked by it. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith, believing on him. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, this isn't a simple ascent of knowledge. This is belief where you're trusting, relying, and depending on him. This means you're claiming him. It's not just the people who say Jesus. It's the people who claim his promise. This is huge. So if you want to, and I know some don't, you will one day regret how your world has led to such self-destruction because you chose to reject it. But I know some people don't want it, but if you have any desire whatsoever to experience not the pretend life of a Christ follower, but the real promise of the real Jesus Christ in your life, you have to believe and claim the promise. What's that look like? Well, let's start with the belief part. We have to believe what he promised. We must believe what he promised. Now, we have all kinds of beliefs, and people, we say this to each other all the time. Well, I just believe, I just believe, I just believe. And we bring that into our Christianity, you know, and this is why we all believe different things. Well, I just believe God wants me to have a good day today. Really? Maybe. I just believe the sun should shine more in my life and there should be less storms. And if God was who God says he is, then no bad things would come into my good world. Really? It's good to believe that. Good luck with it. Well, I just believe that this is okay. And I just believe, it doesn't matter. What did he promise and are we believing it? This is the big thing. We must believe what he promised, not what we want, what we think. What did he promise? Here's what he promised. He promised that his death on the cross, 
His death would break the power of sin in our lives. That's what he promised. And if you didn't hear last weekend's talk or see it, then we give it away online. You can go and you can download it, you can watch it, you can do whatever you want, but please go see it. It's the second talk in this series, plus minus, because I laid out the destructive forces in our world today. There are three. Sin, Satan, and self. And the Bible's clear on that. But then I also laid out how Jesus, when he died on the cross, Jesus became Savior, and the Savior trumps the power of sin, Satan, and self. Light trumps the power of darkness. Trumps it. Someone at one of our services this weekend came and said, you know, that crossbar with Savior on it is covering up the S in Satan. To which I said, that's the point. The Savior trumps sin, Satan, and self. The positive promise of Jesus overcomes the negative reality of our lives. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. For we know that our old self, that's the self that was locked into sin, Satan, and self, locked into the destructive realities of our world. It says we know that our old self was crucified with him on that cross so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to the destructive forces of this world, slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. How many of you have ever seen a dead person walking? I'm not talking about a zombie on The Walking Dead. It's a great show, but they're not real, just in case you didn't know. How many of you have ever seen a dead, dead person do anything? You haven't. Dead people, if you don't know this already, I mean, I know the media makes all kinds of money on you watching dead people doing stuff. Dead people don't do stuff. You see why you come to church? You come to church to get an education. This is really important stuff. Dead people are, in case you didn't know, dead. You know what he says about us? You and I who are dead people because of sin, Because of our choice to live without God, we don't have this source of life, which is why life is such a struggle. You know what he says? By dying on that cross, when we believe his promise, when we depend on his promise, here's what happens. We're dead with him on the cross, which means we've been freed from sin. Wow, that's great. We must believe what he promised. What did he promise? Not just that his death breaks the power of sin in our lives, but that his resurrection provides the power to live a new life. This is This is Christianity here. It's not all the fluff and cheerleading that goes on. This is it right here. He promised that by dying on that cross that we could have sin's power broken in our lives and not just left there. He promised that by rising from the dead when we believe on that promise and trust him for that promise that we would have the power to live exactly what we need, a new life. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 4. I think you're seeing much of the truth of this talk comes right out of Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, 4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too in Christ may live a new life. The cross empty is the picture of new life reality. 
Because he hung on that cross and died, but then he was thrown in a tomb where he burst forth in new life. The cross broke the power of sin, and the resurrection gave us the power for new life. And yet as I look around within me and around me, there aren't many of us walking the new life of the resurrection. Many of us are still bound up with sin, Satan, and power. We need to believe this promise. We can't settle for anything less, but if we're really believing the promise, then that means we're going to be living the promise, right? So we must believe the promise, which means we must claim the promise. If you really believe that you won the lottery, you should maybe like go claim the lottery winnings, right? Now this, do not leave here and say, Brad just encouraged me to play the lottery. No, I didn't. I just said, if you believe you've won it, you should go claim it, right? If you believe they've really invited you to the job, you should go claim the job. If you really believe they're going to give you a paycheck, you should claim the check. If you really believe she or he's willing to marry you, go claim the prize. Unless they're not a prize, then I say run. But that's a whole different issue. Come to the relationship series. That'll be in a couple of months. Here's the thing. If you really believe something, you'll claim it. But here we are. Very often in environments like this, stating that we believe that Jesus died and broke the power of sin, stating that he rose again and gave us the power to live a new life, we're just not claiming it. We just keep talking about it. We need to claim it. So look at Romans chapter 6, just so you can see how God says it. Verses 10, 11, and 14. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, Count yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Claim it. Live it. Embrace it. Verse 14, for sin shall not be your master. You are not owned by sin if you are in Christ. You're not. That power's been broken. You've been set free because you're not under law, but you're under grace. Now, I thought it was important to paint the picture. What does that look like? And this is for my own journey, and hopefully it'll be helpful to you. What's it look like if I'm really believing and claiming the promise that he died and broke the power of sin and he rose to give me the power of new what, What's it look like? Well, let me tell you what it looks like. When claimed, Jesus' death and resurrection provides freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom from the penalty of sin. You know, the Bible says there's a penalty of sin. There's a price, an eternal consequence death, destruction. And this is why we live in a world of death and devastation and destruction. This is why it's filled with darkness and negative reality. It's because sin reigns in our world. But when we claim the promise of Jesus through his death and resurrection, it provides freedom from that penalty. Look at Romans 6, 23. The wages, the price, the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins, in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. So here's the first thing. When we claim his promise through believing on and claiming the death and resurrection power of Jesus Christ, here's what happens. We're set free from the penalty of sin. Let me really put it in picture-perfect clarity for you. Most of us, before we get the first leg into the first article of clothing we're putting on in the morning, 
are already defeated for the entire day because we remember yesterday. And it might not be yesterday, yesterday. It might be two days ago. It might be ten years ago. But most of us live in defeat to the shadows of bad choices before. Most of us define our lives by our past. I did this. I was this. I said this. I went there. And that defines us. And I get it because it's who we are. But see, this is the promise of Jesus. We can stop being defined by who we are and we can start being defined by who he is. And when we put our faith in and claim his death and resurrection, we don't have to look back into the past and see our despicable failures. We can look into our past and we can see his unbelievable forgiveness. We have freedom from the penalty of sin. I do not have to be defined today by my failures yesterday. I don't have to be locked into the failures today that I was locked into yesterday. I can be set free. This is a past thing. The cross and the resurrection set me free from everything I've been. That's unbelievable. But it doesn't end there. Because when I claim the death and resurrection power of Jesus Christ... It doesn't just set me free from the penalty of sin of my past. It sets me free and gives me freedom from the power of sin in my present. And this is really important. And this is where, as an enthusiastic beginner, I missed it. And this is where many of us are missing it, whether we're enthusiastic beginners or disillusioned beginners. It doesn't matter. Maybe you're a disillusioned long-termer. But this is where we miss it. Because most of us live our faith this way. We live our faith backwards. This is what I mean by that. Most of us believe the only power we've been given is the power to be forgiven for bad choices. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is how we live. We live in a cycle of failure and forgiveness, of failure and forgiveness, of failure and forgiveness, where we're going to keep failing. We know we're going to keep failing. We keep failing. We embrace the fact that we're failures. I'm just a sinner, you know. I'm just a worm, such a worm as I, old Christian hymn. And, and we just keep failing. But then we keep getting forgiveness. But do you know how old that gets? And how quickly? I'm just going to keep failing and keep asking them to forgive me. That's not fulfillment and that's not victory. That's despair. And yet that's how most of us live. We walk up, every, walk into every day and think, I'm going to fail today, but thank God he'll forgive me. That's misery. This is why many of us only look forward to heaven because we think, finally, the cycle of despair will end. No, the cycle of despair ends the minute we believe and claim on the power of Jesus. Because, you see, he doesn't just give us freedom from our past sins, the penalty of sin. He gives us freedom from sin's power over our lives today. We're no longer the slave to sin. Look at how the Bible says it again in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. We are set free. There is a law in this world. You're born as a human into this world. You are born into a world of sin, Satan, and selfish sin natures that are going to lead to darkness and destruction. It's a law. You can't break it. You can't. How many of you have ever heard of the law of gravity? For those of you not shaking your head, don't get close to anything high. Um, 
The law of gravity, it's a reality. It keeps us on this planet. If we go up high and we you know, walk off a building, we're going to splat. I mean, the law of gravity, we know. You throw an apple up, it's going to come down. We know that the law of gravity. Wouldn't it be cool if God set us free from the law of gravity? Do you know how much we'd, sense, we'd save flying to our vacation destination? It'd be awesome. If someone sets me free from the law of gravity, I'm hovering. I'm going to be without any ropes. I'm going to be up here just hovering. But he hasn't set us free from the law of gravity. But there's a law that is actually more devastating as a reality that we are all into just as much as the law of gravity. It's the law of sin and death. And by dying and raising again, Jesus did set us free from that law. I do not have to be owned by sin. I do not have to be defeated by Satan. I do not have to follow my natural compulsions and tendencies to do that which is contrary to God. I don't have to do that. I've been set free. So have you. And yet that's not how we live, is it? We live as if we're going to fall and we have to be forgiven. Why don't you one day, how about today, Decide, I am going to believe and claim what he promised, that I don't have to fall. That I don't have to fall. And experience that. Then at the end of the day, you're not going, oh dear Jesus, forgive me. Oh dear Jesus, forgive me. You're saying, but thanks be to God that he has given me the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. This puts these verses into clarity for me. I don't pray, but thanks be to God who's given me the victory because I'm living in defeat and asking him to forgive me for my defeats instead of walking in my victory. How about you? And then it goes further. When we really believe, not when we sing about it and say it, but when we really believe it so much that we claim it, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus ultimately gives us freedom from not just the penalty and not just the power, but the very presence of sin. The presence of sin. Now you might go, really? I mean, we're going to be delivered from the presence of sin? Yes, but think about how the promise unfolds. He has given us freedom from the penalty of sin. That's our past sin, right? Yesterday's failures. He's given us freedom from the power of sin. That's our present reality, right? This means I can walk in victory today. I can overcome sin today. But he's also given me freedom from the presence of sin. Past, present, when is that going to be? In the future. Look at how he says it in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. Now. Now in Romans 8 it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation. Present tense, no. But here it's saying there's going to come a day when God says, Now, in the future, the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And this is what he'll do. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Because there'll be no more death. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things, the world that was controlled by sin, Satan, and self will be done away with, will pass away. There is coming a time for those of us who believe in and claim the promise of Jesus where it just won't be our past sin and present sin, but we'll literally be disconnected from the very presence of sin. Think about what he's promised. The ultimate minus of this world, sin, Satan, self, and death, will be turned into the ultimate plus of eternity. That just boggles my mind. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, made hope possible, made hope real, because if we're honest, without Jesus, all hope 
in our world without Jesus is at best an illusion. The only hope available to someone who doesn't have the death and resurrection of Jesus in their life is fake. This is why positive attitude stuff so fake. I'll fake it till I make it. Why? Because that's all you got. I hope tomorrow I'll be better. I'll try and pretend I am. That's why we say fake joy is better than genuine depression. Why? Because there is no hope. We are people of despair in a world of despair with nothing but despair. But because hope is so essential to the human experiment, we must pretend we have hope even though there is no hope. But Jesus changes this. He gives us hope. Freedom and hope is what God's love has provided for us. Freedom and hope is what Jesus' death and resurrection has made possible for us. This is why there's only one way to describe who he is and what he's done. Do you want to know who he is? Amazing love. Do you want to know what he's done? Amazing love. Let's worship him. When we make the choice, when we make the choice to literally believe and claim his promise through the death and resurrection, he changes our lives. And he doesn't just change our lives while the adrenaline's there and while the newness is still there and before the next iteration of it comes out. He, he changes our lives today, tomorrow, and forever. Look at what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. It says, he who has the Son has the life. But he who doesn't have the Son of God, whether they say they do or not, whether they sing about it or not, he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things have I written unto you who believe, who truly believe and claim Jesus as the Son of God that you might know you have eternal life. No. Many of us would claim to be Christ followers, and I know. And yet we could be living lives of quiet despair and disillusionment where we're following Christ, but it's proving to be a disappointment. He's not the disappointment. We're not believing and claiming on his promise. We're trying to live it, not letting him live in us. I'm not attacking your faith because I'm simply saying my faith was sincere when I went through this time. It just was misplaced. And I encourage you, please, please put your belief and claim on the promise you've been given. Don't keep faltering and floundering, but rather stand because you're free men. You're free women, not bound by sin, Satan, and self anymore. Live it out. Some of you are here, and you've never experienced this amazing love. You've never made him your king. This is your moment, because this can change your inside reality so that though the world doesn't change, your entire experience of it changes. And I'm going to ask you to bow with me in a word of prayer. And if you're with us on Church Online, I'm going to ask you to bow with me as well. And just, just if you've never taken this step, make my words yours. Just say, Jesus, 
this moment, I'm believing and claiming your promise. Uh, it's easy for me to admit I've been dominated by my own failings, my bad choices, by sin, by evil influence, by my nature. But I put my faith that on the cross you died for my sin, and I'm by faith claiming that death for me. And you rose again to give me new life, and I'm by faith claiming that new life is mine. Save me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me and you're in our live worship service here, I just really want to encourage you, please take out the program you were handed and rip out the connection card and just fill it out. And on the bottom it says, you prayed to receive Jesus with me. And if you did, put it in one of the boxes as you leave. We're going to send you a letter about next steps you can take with God. And those of you church online watching right now, just hit the what next button. Here's the good news. When we claim Jesus' power, we experience the promise, life and life to the full. And we can live a life that says, but thanks be to God, he's given me the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's choose him as our king.